every Sunday by a member of our Sunday school class. Because there are so many people in here 
who can teach and do such a good job with it. Yeah. Isn't that true? We are really fortunate. Let me, everybody says that being program chairman is the hard, hard my New York accent's coming out, <laughs> hardest uh, job. But I think everybody who I approached said yes. So I got names, first of all, from the former program uh, chairman. And um, everybody who I called said yes. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really... I mean, I don't think it's that hard, except I screw up sometimes, but <laughs> that's my own little problem. That's not, you know, the problem of the job. But today we're going to hear about, I'm glad he has his book up here because I could never remember this man's name. And his name is Bahafa. He's German. And he's an evangelist. Huh? Von. Did I say Von? No, Von. B-O-N-H. O E F F E R, and and he's an he was an evangelist and a preacher during the days of um, of Hitler, so I think it's going to be really interesting. So he has a full uh, session today, and then next Sunday he'll have a partial se- session because we're having lots of other stuff. So here you go, Bob. Bob. Yeah, I got a plug up here. Always been a wonder to me, having grown up a redhead, why anybody would want to dye their hair red. Another <laughs> <laughs> story. This is the book that she talked about. I'm going to talk a lot about this. Um, kind of interesting how I got involved in this. I'm going to talk to you about that too. Uh, I wanted it to be. This is a good-looking group. I, I guess I, I, you don't get to see it until you're up here. Kind of intimidating. Uh, everybody that comes up here says that, except for Tom Knight, because he's not intimidated. But the rest of us. <laughs> but anyway, going back to what I was talking about, um, I wanted to present some information to you, maybe something new, something that you could look at, maybe in a different light. Can everybody hear me? I know the same. Yeah. We doing okay? Yeah. I'm supposed to say in the back. Everybody's nodding their head. Okay. 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 That's good. All right. Okay. Moving right along. So um, I was um, a, a pro. I am a product of Georgia Tech. Some of y'all probably know that. Didn't get a lot of literary arts or history exposure through college, as most Georgia Tech people do. That Charlie will attest to that and so uh, only thing we had was freshman and sophomore English and if we could recognize our name in a sentence <laughs> most of the time we would pass and so as I got out of college and have grown older I've realized that I knew very little about history uh, very very little and so I've tried to read some historical nonfiction. Cecilia helps me with this and she actually saw this book reviewed in the Wall Street Journal and brought it to my attention. I did not purchase it. Well, a good friend of mine bought it for me. He said, I'm going to buy one for you, I'm going to buy one for me, and we're going to discuss it. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? Discuss a book? And he said, I'm very interested in how Hitler hijacked the German church. Well, that's a thought that had never crossed my mind before. So uh, we read the book and have and have discussed it, and it just really fascinated me. The character did, and hopefully it will you as we discuss it. And I was mentioning this to Al Temples 
uh, just one day when we were ushering, and he said, that might be a good book for our group to discuss, our covenant group. And lo and behold, I presented to them, and they decided they wanted to do it. So we're in the fifth chapter. Now, I heard from one of them today, I won't call any names, but I heard from one of them today that they thought I would do such a good job in the next two weeks that we would just go to breakfast and move on to the next <laughs> Take that for whatever you want. But anyway, I, I want to kind of make a little disclaimer. Some of this is, um, to say the least, uh, a tent, very tense part of in history. And I don't want to say anything that is offensive to anybody. I have no agenda whatsoever. This character has fascinated me for a lot of reasons, and I want to pre- excuse me. I want to present that to to y'all as I know it. So please do not take offense at anything I say. Um, I am going to discuss a little bit of theology. I'm kind of going out on the limb here, working without a net, because there's some people in this class that are very much more knowledgeable than I am. So I've paid select one of them twenty dollars not to ask any hard questions. <laughs> Okay, and and as uh, one other thing, one other disclaimer, I'll say I'm going. Tr- we're doing this for two Sundays. I've got no idea how far we'll get today uh, or next week. You, I'm following somebody, Scott Dixon, that was very, very organized, knew exactly what he was going to say, exactly when he was going to be done. Everything was very well organized. So that's not what you got today. I'm going to be talking about uh, Bonhoeffer. The three things that I think we need to talk about to lay some good groundwork is Bonhoeffer. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his early life up through when he was about 21. We're going to talk about the state of Germany during this same period of time and the state of the church. And as you know, Germany, or maybe you don't know, but Germany from the end of World War One signed the, the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. A, a very, very short 21 years later, France, Paris specifically, uh, surrendered to Hitler. So there's a 21-year span here in German history where an awful lot happened. And it's kind of hard to get your mind around, was for me, to get your mind around how much has happened in those few years to go from a complete uh, surrender, Versailles 1919, to 21 years later. that the uh, And, and Hitler wanted to... to uh, be as humiliating to, to France as he could, made them drag out the exact same rail car that they signed the treaty, the uh, 1919 treaty. They used the exact same rail car in 1940 for the signing of the surrender from, from France. So, Anyway, these are the three things we're going to talk about. And we're going to start off with Bonhoeffer. Now, it may or may not be a name that, it, that y'all are familiar with. Uh, and that's good if it's not, because I can say anything I want to. I <laughs> but uh, he was born <clears throat> in 1906. He's one. He's a twin. Had a sister that was born right after him. Uh, he is one of eight children. He's the youngest son. Four sons. Uh, born into a very, very privileged environment. His father was a renowned psychiatrist. And his, uh, and also a university professor. His mother was also uh, very well educated and very well known within the. Um, came from a very prominent family in Germany. 
amazing enough as you hear the rest of the story that they were not church going people for a lot of reasons uh, and that's, we'll talk about that as we get into the church but um, as I said they came from a very privileged environment the family was extremely important to them uh, I had the priv- uh, privilege Jack Stadler and I both did of working in German industry for a long time and the families the structure is very very important to Germans and his family was no different than, than uh, excuse me his, pa- his family were no different than anybody else they were taught the children were all taught to think for themselves and to uh, if, if they wanted to defend a point they should use their own reasoning and logic to defend that. Now, this is something that is very, very important as we see Bonhoeffer's life progress. Uh, he is an extremely gifted musician to the point where he could almost just play anything by ear. Uh, piano happened to be the favorite, his favorite instrument, the one he liked the best, the one that he appeared to be the most talented at. And so his family was expecting him to pursue a musical career, thinking that that would be the, uh, the, the natural for his ability. So at the age of 13, uh, which you can imagine extremely young, he declared that he wanted to pursue theology. Uh, at that time, theology was not recognized as probably one of the better careers for somebody of the, with this much um, this these this many resources, this much intelligence, and so his family was shocked uh, and disappointed about that. But he considered, I mean, he continued to pursue it. Just to give you a little bit of an of an idea of what the church was like at that time, even though at thirteen he d- decided that he wanted to study theology, he still didn't go to church. So it was not something that he saw as being very important at all, the church going at that time. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. One other thing I didn't tell you, as you can imagine, uh, this there's a lot of information in the book. I'm kind of picking and choosing what, what we talk about here. So if there's points that you'd like to bring up or questions, please feel free to do so. But I couldn't, didn't feel like I could just bring in every every detail that's in the book. So he, uh, Bonhoeffer at age 18, of course he was uh, part of this privileged family. Uh, some of the problems that the rest of Germany had that we will talk about were not uh, a problem for his family. And they uh, allowed him to travel and, and really to, to do a lot of things that the rest of the culture or the rest of the community could not. So at age 18, he went to Rome with a uh, brother excuse me let me I'm sorry I, I forgot one thing I want to tell you a very important point at age eight when he was eight years old World War one broke out uh, his brother the oldest brother was one of the first inductees into the war and he was killed within two weeks of being inducted very very uh, quick um, not sure all the details, but very quick, quickly killed. And Bonhoeffer, being at such an impressionable age, saw uh, this as something that would affect his later life. And he was uh, 
the pacifist views that we're going to talk about, a lot of them we think have come from that time that his brother was killed. So, excuse me, I, I forgot that point. But now we're going to move on to when he is uh, 18, war's over, uh, and he is allowed to go with his brother to Rome. He has struggled with the theology question and the condition of the German church as it is, and so he is uh, exposed to a Roman Catholic mass in, in Rome, and he's very impressed with it because the people are very much more diverse. It is uh, some, some difference between it and what he has grown up with. So he's very impressed with it, recognizes that there is other, there are other things available or out there that are, that he has not, uh, seen while he has been in England. I mean in Germany, excuse me. Hey Bob, what, where was he born? What raised? What city? He was raised outside of uh, Berlin. Uh, I'm going to ask my experts. Brynau, is that the way? Something like that. Uh, but it's outside of Berlin. It's a very, very privileged part of Berlin. Uh, where he was. And the only reason I make that point is up until this point in his life, he has not really been exposed to the the poor, the the uh, the other side of society, more or less the proverbial spoon in his mouth, and was was pretty well sheltered. Was he Lutheran? You know. Well, he wasn't anything to yeah. to speak of. Uh, the the German church was Lutheran for the most part. There were, uh, and we'll talk about this as we go, but there were some Catholics in a, a, a good bit of Catholic. Catholicism in Germany, but it was in a different part of Germany. So, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of that. Good questions. Anybody else? I want to answer them as best I can. Okay. Glad y'all are paying attention. Okay. Um, he completed his doctorate. Going to talk a lot about what about his dissertation at the age of twenty-one. Pretty much unheard of at that time, give you some idea of how intelligent he is, uh, really was too early in his life, too young to be ordained. And so he was struggling a little bit with whether he wanted uh, academia to pursue that or he wanted to pursue the ministry. He's leaning a little bit toward the ministry. His family, still wanting the notoriety for him, wants him to go into the academia part of it. He's leaning a little bit toward the ministry, but he can't really make a, a decision up until he's a little bit older. So he has spent so in in this time period he spends some time traveling, and he is uh, for, first of all goes to Barcelona, and at that at that time he is an assistant minister for a gentleman there, going to work the summer and a little bit of the winter just to fill in for him. He, all through his life, has never seen these jobs beneath him. And so he takes on, takes this on with a lot of vigor and uh, creates a lot of new programs that the the old minister is, is kind of uh, retired but still working. And so he sees all these new programs as something he's going to have to maintain after Bonhoeffer leaves. So there's a little bit of friction between the two of them. But Bonhoeffer really has a lot of... Uh, Excitement and enthusiasm for his work. Uh, also, is exposed at that time 
to a uh, German charitable organization. And this is his first real opportunity to see the down and out, the people that have not had all the privileges that he has had. So he uh, uses this, kind of kind of logs it away for later life. Um, after this, still not, not ready to be ordained, he is offered a teaching fellowship in Manhattan. And so he comes there. This is in the year we're, talk, we're about in 1930 now. He comes to Manhattan and uh, is at Union College. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but that's where he is. And uh, he is very alarmed at the lack of theology, the lack of apparent seriousness that the American students have as compared to the Germans. He's used to the very structured... Uh, study style and they are the more probably what we would think would be normal but more of a <laughs> looser looser group so he also at this point in time he is introduced to a black student uh, don't know but probably is one of the very first blacks that he ever came in contact with and the, the black student asks him to worship with him at a church it's in Harlem called Absenial Absenian Baptist Church. He has an opportunity at that point in time to hear Adam Clayton Powell Sr. speak. And he is just really taken with the music, taken with the enthusiasm as we as we know from the, those type of services. He has never seen the audience participation, never heard the spiritual music. Uh, he is so taken with it that he finds recordings of the spiritual music that he can use, take back and use probably for uh, or, or in the later ministry. So this is about uh, we're, we're back to, up to almost 1931, 1931 and, and Bonhoeffer has finished his teaching fellowship in the United States and he is on his way back to Germany. Now what has gone on in the meantime uh, in we're going to talk about the state of condition of Germany now from the end of the war which of course is 1919 up until the early to mid 20s um, most of y'all know or probably do know uh, that the Treaty of Versailles was very very humiliating for Germany at that time uh, the Allies did not want Germany to have any opportunity to ever rearm and, and do what they had done at, Again, so they took took away some of their land, charged them some huge amounts of money, reparations that they were to pay, and uh, Germany had financed the war pretty much without any backing, and so they were in a, a very very bad situation economically, and so I've got some numbers here just to, just to give you a feel for what the exchange rate did in Germany in in 1919, right at the end of the war. 4.2 German marks would equal a dollar. So that was that was the going exchange rate. By the end of 1921, just two years later, it had jumped to 75 marks to a dollar. You ain't heard nothing yet. 1922, one year later, it was 400 marks to the dollar. That's that's a, that's 100 times in a couple of years. If you can imagine that. Early in 1923, it had jumped to 7,000 marks to the dollar. 
November of 1923, it was $4 billion marks to the dollar. Just getting into numbers so big, I had to ask to see you if that was what, what that meant, what it had all those zeros on it. Um, it's just, you just can't imagine it. So a little story just to give you some feel for what kind of inflation they had. Uh, Bonhoeffer's dad is named Carl, Carl Bonhoeffer. He had bought a life insurance policy sometime back in his younger days. 100,000 mark life insurance policy. It came due about this time, and the way inflation was, he knew that he just needed just to go ahead and cash it out. It wasn't doing him any good. So he calculated that he had, without 100,000 marks that he'd paid for for many years, he had enough money to buy a bottle of wine and some strawberries. So he requested the money. It took a short period of time for the money to come to him. By the time the money got to him, he couldn't even buy the wine with it. All he could buy was the strawberries. So you can see how much, how devastating this was to the economy. Now, uh, Bonhoeffer's dad, being the uh, noted psychiatrist, did a lot of work with people outside the country. So he was getting paid in other currency, which helped keep them afloat, some, an opportunity that some of the other people did not have. Um Germany at the time right after the war was a very very frail democracy it had been a uh, uh, the chancellor had been the in charge and they voted in a democracy after the war very very fragile did not uh, was not effective at all and the local people saw this uh, all these problems that they were having as being problems with the democracy. So one of the things that uh, perceived benefits for Hitler as he's, as he's rising up in power, one of the perceived benefits is that he is not a democratic leader. He promises to do away with the, dem the democracy and he will be more of the chancellor, dictator, type of government and kind of hard for us to see hard for me to see but they, they see that as a benefit they see the good old days back when they had the one person in command as opposed to a democracy which they see as, as a lot of the problem okay move on into the, the status of the church is there a question Tom Knight you got it okay $20 now, you remember that. Okay. The, the, the church at that time, they call it the German church, primarily Lutheran, as Frank says. Uh, it aligned with the government, primarily all through history aligned with the government, especially during World War One, really aligned with the government. And so at the end of the war, when Germany lost, the church lost a lot of credibility. And so they're at, at a low point to begin with. The Enlightenment, uh, which I don't know a lot about, but it had come two or three hundred years before this, and it was more of a uh, emphasizing a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God for an individual, uh, as opposed to the strong um, Catholic Church that would would was doing the things for the individual. Uh, so this is more of an individualistic faith, which somewhat explains why it was not so important to go to church uh, 
because people felt like if they had an individual relationship with God that they didn't need to go to church. So there's a guy that comes uh, on the scene right before this in the early 1900s, and his name is Carl Barth, B-A-R-T-H. And he, uh, his main change in theology is what he is a proponent of is that uh, God must reveal himself to man. Now, what's kind of surprising to me is some of the things that we kind of consider, I consider, to be pretty mainstream, this, this type of theology, at this point in time was not. This, this is a relatively new theology that God must reveal himself to us that we cannot do anything on our own. And so uh, this is Barth. This is something that Bonhoeffer, as he read and was educated, embraced. Thought this was something that he uh, was really uh, in line with. Uh, and then um, I mentioned the South of Germany is Catholic. Uh, as Hitler was rising in power. The perception, I'm not sure why they would have this perception, but the perception was that Hitler was Catholic. And, uh, of course, hindsight's 20-20, so looking back, you, it makes you question a lot of these things. But they were so, the church was so interested in getting back into the main spotlight, they would be able to accept some of Hitler's, not as obvious now as it would be later, some of the problems with him. So the Catholics signed a compromise with Hitler uh, and they said that they would not uh, do anything uh, to, to give him a problem if uh, he would leave them alone so it's kind of a, of a contract to, to uh, hands off contract the Lutheran church the, the, the bigger church was very much separated. It was a, a lot of uh, individualistic community churches, no no real strength. And so Hitler's, one of his goals was to combine the, Catholic, uh, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, excuse me, not the Methodist, to combine the German church and make it more of a single church. Uh... So in 1933, moving right along, um, on the first day of April, the Nazis declared the the uh, Jewish boycott. This was um, a day that the uh, German, the uh, Jewish merchants were to be boycotted. Bonhoeffer's grandmother, 90 years old, still alive, still very active, to give you some clue as to what kind of genes he comes from, on that particular day, she went to do her normal shopping, and there was a stormtrooper standing in front of the Jewish shop that she normally shopped at, and she uh, told him she was going in, that he wasn't going to stop her, she was going to buy what she normally bought, and she did. And... uh, very impressive, very impressive to to the family, very impressive to everybody else. But it gives you some feel for how good Bonhoeffer's genes were. Later, about two weeks later, the the what they call the Aryan paragraph came out, and it was uh, 
a, a statement that the that the Jewish people could not be a part of the church. Up until this time, there were uh, what we would call Messianic Jews in the German church. There were quite a few of them that were Christian. Christians went to church, and now they're being told that they could not take part in the church. They couldn't be a, an officer. They could not do anything as part of the church. Uh, Bonhoeffer's mother was very uh, shocked by this and, and and requested or was very upset with Bonhoeffer and his friends or in in the church that they the church did not take a stand on this. So uh, it's a it's, you can see that the the tension is building the the the, uh, the pressure is building, but the church as is everybody as Hitler is gaining power is concerned about the uh, backlash that they will get as they're starting to see the backlash against the Jewish people. And, and now I'm getting on a little... This is a historical fact that I'm going to tell you, but I'm getting on a little shaky ground here, so this is where I hope I don't upset anybody because this is something that I learned. Martin Luther, when he started his... Uh, the... Uh, the work that he did trying to reform the Catholic Church, he saw himself as a reformer, not agreeing with the Catholic Church. He saw the Jews as somewhat of a in a similar situation, that they were also at odds with the Catholic Church. So he felt a, a connection with them. As he got older and the and the German church got stronger and stronger, he thought that the Jewish people should uh, change their beliefs and become Christians. When they did not, as a whole, do that. Some did, of course, but as a whole they did not. He was as anti-Semitic and made some anti-Semitic statements as almost anyone else in the time because he said, in his mind, he said, we've given them the opportunity to convert and, and be be saved, offer salvation to them. They've turned us down, and so he has. He made some very, very anti-Semitic statements, which is a not very complimentary of him. All the good things he did, this is probably not one of them. But these statements were used by Hitler later on. So they're saying we do have some support from Martin Luther. Uh, also, not a good thing. So in 1934, and, and this is, uh, there's some other things that happened. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I think this is one of the more important parts. A, a, a offshoot of the German church called the Confessing Church was established. This is non-state supported, as other churches were. Bonhoeffer, some other people were very much uh, instrumental in getting this started. So uh, we have that we have that uh, church, and we have the, and we have the um, German church. Bonhoeffer was asked why, if he felt like the church needed reforming, why would he not stay in the existing church and work to reform it instead of going all the way into making a, another church? And his comment was, if you board the wrong train. It is of no use running down the corridor in the opposite direction. 
Okay, we are going to talk a little bit about theology, and I got I've got some questions I want to read y'all something some homework. If any of y'all decide to come back next week, I'm going to give you one. So this is Bonhoeffer. I just want to go into a little bit of his theology. Uh, some of the things are, are for me, uh, a little bit easier to get your mind around than some of the other things. Some of the confusion, explain a little bit of the confusion as I see it, why some of it happened. But one of the things that is, uh, I, I think, and this is what really fascinated me, he is the one of the first, if not the first, German theologian to take a definite stand against Hitler and Nazism. Uh, Malone shaking and said, that's the first thing I said that's right, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, that's good. But he, we, we talk a lot about um, modern-day prophets. Uh, Tom Knight did a lesson, talked about some modern-day prophets, and I've kind of struggled with some of the names that have come up, but this is a somewhat modern-day, I mean, it's still within our lifetime, prophet in the true biblical sense. He was the voice in the wilderness saying, if, if you don't do something different to the church, also to the government, if you don't do something different, this, this just is not going to be right because this is not something God is going to allow to go on. So very, very impressive to me, very impressive to me that a, that a man would take that stand, especially when the uh, environment that he grew up in, he, he could have had the easiest lifestyle of, of anybody. He chose not to do that, chose to take a, a definite stand on that. Um, he struggled, t- talked a little bit about this, struggled with uh, the church. What is the church? His doctorate degree was written on what what is the church? What should the role of the church or the function of the church be? And he he determined, and I have to read this, that it should be the physical manifestation of Christ on earth. God intends us to be in relationships with others, and and the church should be the place where that relationship happens. Uh, after he wrote this dissertation, and this was when he was 21 or before, it was read by this Carl Barth who he kind of saw as a mentor. And Carl Barth thought that it was a miracle that someone of his age would be able to write such a thesis. So uh, Bonhoeffer thinks the, the role of the church should be, in his particular instance, should firmly state its beliefs with regard to government actions. It must help the oppressed that are harmed by the government actions and if all else fails it should put a spoke in the wheel this is a little bit different than what we think of today when we talk about the the role of the church so I want to talk about two quick things these are the next two points are probably the points that you have heard these are the the words that uh, we can get our minds around a little bit easier in his theology, and that is cheap grace and costly grace. These, these are, I, I think he coined these terms, but he's the one that has made them famous if he didn't. Cheap grace, going to church and hearing how God just loves and forgives everyone, so it doesn't really matter how you live. And costly grace is living the gospel. 
determining what the will of God is and, and doing that work. Okay. So that's kind of that's kind of some background, a little bit of basic theology. What I want to do next week, as Paul Harvey says, is tell you the rest of the story. We got um, two forces uh, coming toward each other: the Hitler, as you know, and Bonhoeffer coming together. So we're going to have the uh, train wreck next week. Uh, probably know the end of the story, but there's going to be some things that you probably did not know about that. And what I'd like to do just quickly, I just some questions uh, as as I've been involved in this material, questions have come up. Various people that I've talked to have had questions. I got a lot as always a lot more questions than I do answers. But just things that I'd like for for, you, for y'all to think about. Uh, number one, and this is the key question that uh, the, the gentleman that gave me the book said, how did Hitler hijack the church and would it be possible for something like this to happen again? Okay, number two, uh, we didn't talk about the plot to kill Hitler. We're going to talk about that in more detail and, and you know, I probably know about that. So this question kind of relates to that. Can you accept Bonhoeffer's uh, passivity as he plots to kill Hitler. Uh, kind of two two different terms here. And did the German conditions of the day push Bonhoeffer into situational ethics? He wanted the church completely separate from the state. Is that different from the AC, what the ACL, ACLU demands today? He, he, another thing we're going to talk about next week is he taught a seminary class for these, uh, for this confessing church because they weren't state related. They had to go out and raise their own funds and he was teaching the, teaching the individuals. And in one of his, uh, after he was involved in the resistance, in one of his, uh, classes, he asked the class, this one I'm going to ask y'all, would you grant absolution to an individual that killed a tyrant? Something else to think about. Killed a tyrant. Excuse me. And then the question that has really stuck in my mind, and this is what I've asked um, Mike Miller, especially just because he and I just happened to bump into each other when I was right in the middle of reading this book, that has really stuck in my mind is why is Bonhoeffer not better known today? All the things that he did and uh, things that we talked about that would be, uh, to me, an excellent role model for anybody, anybody with problems. This is these these are the situations where you really can tell wh- what uh, people think are important. Um, he, he just, I just don't know. He's just not recognized, uh, and I have just. Thought uh, when we go to when I was a child and the people that we studied were the Daniels and and the, the biblical stories, which were and and I'm, they're very important, but much a little bit harder to relate to. This is something in my mind that I can relate to. Man, this of course he's considerably uh, would be considerably older, considerably older than any of us, but uh, still the life 
that he lived and what he went through is very understandable to us in this day. So, so that's and that's my big question. That's what y'all gonna help me answer next week. And I'll tell you what Mike Morgan, uh, Mike Miller, excuse me, Mike Miller told me last week. So uh, I'm gonna have a prayer. Uh, any questions, comments? Everybody still awake? Do you like it? <laughs> there is a street named after him in Berlin. Okay. Let, let me. And, and, I, and I, I'm glad you said that. I don't know why it jogged this in my mind. There is a PBS uh, documentary came out. I think in February of this year. Um, we missed it, but it was. It's on Netflix, and um, I watched it several times. Every time I watch it, I hear something that I didn't hear the last time. So I would highly recommend it to you. It's got some original, some of the original footage. Uh, it's, it's not uh, a feel-good kind of documentary by any means, but it really is good. Really brings some of these things home. So. What's the name of it? Pretty, pretty catchy title. I think I'll tell you next week if that's not right. I'm pretty sure that's the name. That's what I googled. When you know you got the little search engine on Netflix, and I just typed in his name, and it came up. So I've had this one checked out for about three or four weeks, so you can't, you probably can't see it for a while. But anyway, any other questions, comments? I'm going to uh, close with a prayer. Dear God, although we take our freedom for granted, please make us mindful of the sacrifices that many others have made for us. Please help us look for good and adequate role models in our lives. We pray that you will give our government officials wisdom making the decisions that they need to make day to day. Please help us to do thy will. In Christ's name, amen. Oh, you get you want to talk something, don't you? Well, we we can quit. But thank you, Bob. Bible verse this week. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I was sitting here looking at that thinking that kind of sounds like when Mother would say, you better be good because the elves are watching you. (laughs) But then the Lord is near. Is that because I'm representing Him in some way? Boy, we're getting kind of messed up with that, aren't we? But it's, it's funny how those few little words can make you think about some stuff. So the main message of that is the fruit of the Spirit we've talked about is gentleness. So be gentle this week and have a good week. Thanks.